Hey you guys, hope you're well. I just wanted to take this opportunity and let you know about our amazing new business scalability scorecard. So have you ever wondered if, you've, if you're an entrepreneur, you're a business owner, and you want to grow and scale the business but not sure how, and you're looking for some advice and you're looking for some strategies about how you could effectively grow and scale your business, well, this is your opportunity. We have actually created an amazing uh, business scalability scorecard. It takes you around seven to eight minutes, and at the end of that, it will actually create a report of all of the things that you're doing particularly well in and the things that you need to make improvements to your business. And uh, it's a great tool and a great asset for your business. To get free access to that, go to bit.ly forward slash business hyphen scalability hyphen scorecard. Go there, go now. Take care, see you soon. This is the Game Changers Experience. Deep dive conversations with leading business disruptors, Olympic athletes, celebrities, entrepreneurs, and influencers from around the world. This show will teach you insights about the winning principles in mindset, productivity, marketing, branding, entrepreneurship, business strategy, and more. Hosted by Productivity Authority, business strategist, former elite athlete, author, and public speaker, Adam Strong. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Game Changers Experience with myself, Adam Strong. And today, we have a slightly different podcast, a great podcast show that we have. We are actually going to be with a guy called Sassy Kumaruma, and he's a former international football star player that represented Singapore 35 times. Sassy moved from Australia to pursue a career in sports marketing, where he learned about sports excellence, Australian sports excellence, and how that how that then applies to then Indian culture and Indian sport, uh, which we're going to talk about as well. Um, he landed the role of head coach of the Indian cricket team, which is absolutely probably one of the most important jobs, probably second most important job in, in India. And uh, Sassy has also built a sports marketing agency, uh, which he sold to a Japanese company, uh, the valuation of 10 million Singapore uh, uh, dollars. By the way, not US dollars. We haven't confused US dollars with Canadian dollars. And oh my God. So, um, but now Sassy now teaches and mentors sports professionals, retirees, uh, athletes that want to start their own business. And he teaches them about some of the mistakes that he is, uh, is going to uh, avoid and stuff like that. So, Sassy, welcome to the show. Hi, Adam. Thanks for having me. I'm uh, really excited to be on your show and uh, share my experience. Well, man, all good. So, listen, really interesting because I, I always love doing the. Uh, I really love doing the. You know, a lot of these shows with 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 some sort of sports element because you know I'm a big sports fan, as you know, and things like that. But now your roots are you're Indian, right? And then you moved to Singapore because you grew up in Singapore mm. and stuff. And you know, and I'm obviously being coming from the UK as well. You know, a lot of people from India and stuff like that, you know, cricket is like the national sport, right? It's like football in the UK, like cricket is like the, the national sport for, for India. But what inspired you to get into football more importantly? Because very different, very different sport and stuff like that. But what, what got inspired you to get into football? Yeah, so just to give you a bit of a backstory, you're right, I'm of, um, I'm of Indian uh, heritage, but I'm third generation Singaporean. So I was born here, my parents were born here, my grandparents were born here. So 
Um, while I do look Indian and my DNA is Indian, I'm very much Singaporean. And if you, if you know Singapore, it's a tiny island in Southeast Asia where we have uh, four different races that actually make up the country. So um, growing up, while you just said you touched upon it, it's uh, cricket is huge in India, but the influence here in Singapore was never about cricket. It was always about football because growing up as a young kid, I just looked up uh, to all the national team players uh, that came through the ranks and represented Singapore. And those were my heroes. Let's not forget as well, I grew up in the era there was no cable TV, there wasn't any internet. The only thing we actually watched was Road to Wembley on a Sunday morning on free television. Can you imagine that's how long ago it was? That was. Um, so our influence is uh, because Singapore was a British colony and of course the all sorts of programming and all sorts of media we get is content from, from England. So English football was my number one go-to sport at that time. So uh, just to give you a, a background text to this conversation, yeah, Singaporean, born and bred here, lived around the world, but back here in Singapore, um, yeah, football was always my number one sport. Love it. Very good. Now, interestingly enough, um, when I think about football, obviously some people that, depending on where you're li where li where li listening to this, if you're listening to this in the States or in Canada, you probably associate football with American football. So I just wanted to reiterate this. This is the proper football where you kick the round ball rather than kind of, the, <laughs> yeah, just wanted to highlight that, right? <laughs> but um, uh, yeah, you know, so I, I do a lot of, uh, sorry, sorry, Adam, I do a lot of work and also um, I have my own podcast as well and the Sports Business Mind and I do a lot of interviews with, um, people in the US, right? North America's market. And, and I have to reiterate all the time, it's soccer, it's not football. So, you know, they always get confused. But, you know, the word soccer actually isn't as sexy as the word football because, you know, it's a ball in it. Absolutely. Foot, right? It's, you know, it kind of makes sense, right? But anyway. Um, I hear you, I hear you. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm sure I'm probably going to get some retaliation from our listeners saying, what do you want to say? What do you <laughs> Which I find funny. Um, What's going to say? When I, I don't know if you've ever seen one of those yeah. movies. Um, I was watching. Uh, there was a movie that really, uh, and, I, and and it was with um, uh, with one of the Hollywood movie stars, and he's in he's in my head. Uh, I, I it will come to me in a second. But he gave one of these big team talks, right? Um, like the, it was American football at the time, and um, gave one of these big uh, team talks because they were losing miserably. And you know, you, he gets into the dressing room at half time and literally just like basically giving a bit of a reality check, but kind of kicking their asses at the same time. Did you ever, um, did you ever experience those, um, you know, from memory, did you ever experience those types of uh, uh, bollocking, ass kicking, half, half time dressing, um, sort of team talks from your coach? I mean, what, what does, no one really tells you like what is said in these conversations. I'd love to know and get some more insights from you. I think the movie you're referring to is Saturday Night Lights and the actor is Al Pacino in that movie. If That's I'm not right, wrong. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, can, it's yeah, a football yeah, yeah. game. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so yeah, to answer the question is absolutely. I think uh, I played professional football for 12 years and I've been involved in uh, 
football or slash soccer for most of my life anyway. So at every level, you find those sort of uh, conversations uh, had, even if you're playing amateur football, you're playing non-league football, you're playing professional football or international football, there will be games where you're not at your best and the coach comes in and gives you what they call the hairdryer's treatment, right? Which was made famous by Sir Alex Ferguson in Manchester United. So uh, that's what it's called. So yeah, I mean, not that I got a lot of hair left, but uh, my younger days, I did have a lot of hair. And uh, yeah, you know, every season you get two or three of those incidents when, you know, um, or instances where the manager or the coach comes into the dressing room at halftime and, and, and really tells you where you are and uh, tells you, t- tell you to take a bit of pride in the work you do. And in most, most times it works, but there are also times where you're just, you know, you, you turn up, but you're not just good enough on the night. Uh, a, a, a better team just beats you. So you've got to be a graceful loser at times as well. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, what do you find, um, again, this is a really, uh, and I'm kind of quite fascinated about the connection between, you know, how we think and how and what we do. And you've kind of picked it up a little bit, right? But what do you find, you know, from from a former, as a former athlete, what do you think the, the disconnection was between um, maybe their performance on the field and what their coach is kind of saying to that. What do you think the, the, the disconnection could be? At the end of the day, it's about expectations, right? So there's a lot of frustration from the, from the man on the sideline who is the coach. Because I realized it many years later when I actually became a coach, all the ideas in your head and you're like, why can't they just do it? Like, I'm telling you to do it and it looks so easy. Why don't you just do it? Uh, but it's the reality is very different when you are in the pitch, on the park, and you got pressure of making split-second decisions, which could go either way. And the higher the level you actually play at, um, the opportunity to make mistake becomes very, very slim. And it's all split-second. So we are human. We decide at that point in time, do I take it with my right leg? Do I take it with my left leg? Do I kick the ball down the line? Do I kick it out or give it, keep it back to my teammate? All of that you got to make in split-second. And that's where training is important. But there are days where your mind says, okay, go that way, but your body just doesn't move. It's, you know, you get those days. And I'm pretty sure you get it in everyday you know, life as well. You get up in the morning and you say, I got to go for a run. But how many times we, we, we have told or convinced ourselves, I'll do it tomorrow, right? You know, so I'll do it tomorrow. There's always tomorrow, right? Uh, that's where the word procrastination comes from. So I think in sports, it's no different. There are days where your body and your mind is completely disconnected. The best players in the world, they have a half day. Let's put it that way. Uh, Roger Federer, uh, Lewis Hamilton, Lionel Messi, Cristiano Ronaldo, the list goes on. Kobe Bryant, uh, Michael Jordan. We all have an off day. So shouldn't take it too hard. You just got to learn from that experience and go like, you know, okay, I think this, when I did this, and that's why I was like this, and try and avoid that. I think uh, the guys right at the top, what they end up doing is that they eliminate all these um, errors. I think that's where you become a great player. That's that's how you become from an average player, good player, to a great player. You just start eliminating all those silly errors. Yeah, very, very, very good point. Actually, um, you know, it's interesting, and and and, and I suppose uh, in English, I mean, I'm a big Arsenal fan. I'm, I'm sure I'm going to get massive backlash from that now. Um, but now you've got. Um, so you know, my condolences. <laughs> <laughs> But, you, you know, in, in, interestingly enough, you know, football is about two things, really. It's about results on the pitch and, and, and business, isn't it? There's two 
major things that you know you know football has evolved into something which is more than what then it's just kicking a football around a field right it's it's evolved into something which is quite interesting right now um what i was going to say to you um how important you know from your perspective you know and, and kind of you know even more kind of applicable to sport really is um you know team synergy because uh, you know <laughs> and i know that there's a lot of teams especially in the english uh, premier league in particular, it doesn't matter actually if it's English Premier League, it could be the NBA, it could be NFL, whatever it might be. You're going to get one star player, right? And uh, and and they and, and there's this kind of worry that if this star player, right, gets injured, then the whole team just crumbles, right, and and just falls apart. What is your thoughts about how you know how not to rely on an individual, you know, because it puts so much pressure on that individual. But but number two, the importance of team synergy. You know, I, I, what I, um, I've, I've obviously played in, in many, many teams where there was an outstanding player, star player, so, uh, so you call it, or someone who influences the game more, more than most, right? And sometimes these are the guys that make a difference whether between winning and losing. Um, I was the defender. My job was to make sure that I, I kept the ball as far away as possible from the goal uh, and the net. And then there were guys who were, who were much better than me than, you know, to, to score the goals or put it in the opponent's net. So everybody had a role to play. But some individuals have a bigger role to play because they are more skillful, they are faster, uh, they've got, uh, you know, better cognitive understanding, um, they are right place at the right time for, for many, many reasons because maybe they have put, a, put in more hours of training or they're just naturally talented. So you can't avoid this. Even in a business setting, you will know that out of 10 people that work with you, there'll be two or three real rock stars. You're not going to say, you know what, I'm going to try and sideline them so that I don't want to be too over-dependent on them in case they leave, right? So right. in the sports setting, it's the same. What you really do is harness the best out of those guys. And then you got to expect that there'll be a day that they won't just turn up like just anyone. And, and this is where I think a leader, uh, in this case in sports, is the coach or the manager, and in business is the guy, the CEO, the guy at the top. You really got to understand, and that's where they really earn their money. The day when your star player is not performing and he's just not going for him, just spare him the agony. Just take him out of the park, let him rest, watch from the outside, because what's going to happen with high performers like that, their egos are going to get hurt badly. That what it's going to do is that they're like a wounded animal. So they're going to come back bigger, stronger, faster, because they don't want to make the same mistakes. If you are a high achiever, you know that, that you, you, you want to come back bigger, stronger. You want to show everybody that that was just a small blip on the road. So to me, it really boils down to the man who leads the team uh, from, a, from a coaching perspective, uh, from a managerial perspective. And in business, if you are the guy that leads the business, you're an entrepreneur, you're a CEO, it all boils down to you bringing the best out of people. And when there are days that these guys are just not performing and you put your arm around them and say, maybe it's just not your day. Come on, let somebody else carry the the burden for you today so uh, i'm all in for high performers i'm all in for star players it's just up to the person that leads the team to know that when to do it and how to do it love it very good um you mentioned about <clears throat> people that um should we say star players that should we say um are we, we call them influencers or leaders on the pitch right and they they might be someone that you might have uh, aspired to um or someone that's you know, experienced player on the field or whatever it is. What makes um, what makes the the makeup of a, an influencer or someone that really wants to lead, you know, lead the team as such on the field? And how does that apply to business? 
So I think it's about, you know, I, I alluded to this earlier about making as little, as little errors as possible, right? So when you cut out all the errors, uh, what makes good and bad is just decisions, right? At the end of the day, when you look at sports or even business, what makes good and bad is basically the decisions you make. So if you make um, the least amount of bad decisions, then you have a good game. Sure. If you make bad decisions, you're just a bad player and you keep doing that consistently, then you are labeled as a bad player. In business, it's the same thing. You make, you keep making good, good um, decisions. You be, you climb the corporate ladder or the business ladder, and if you make bad decisions over and over again and consistently, then you become a failure or a bankrupt or whatever you a, a label that's attached to it. So, in my opinion, it's about being consistently making the right decisions, and that can only come if you try and hone that skills for for a long time. So I want to go back to the point of um, doing something for 10,000 hours, right? When you do something for 10,000 hours, you master the skill. So whether if it's curling a free kick into the back of the net or putting the most beautiful PowerPoint presentation to convince a client, all of that comes with practice. So I think with practice, you will eliminate the chance of making errors. And when you start making good, good decisions, I suppose, you just got to keep repeating them. So... I think that that's something that's really not taught a lot in school these days about how do you make right decisions and can you make consistent right decisions? So I think uh, that's my thought process about everything I get into, not just sports, but I learned that a lot in sports and I brought it into the business world. Yeah, love it. Very good. Um, I was going to say to you, I'm a big, I'm a big fan of, um, you mentioned about uh, decision-making and how it can apply to the business world, right? Um, you, in football, uh, in particular, um, you know, uh, the, the games are, can be extremely fast, you know, they, you know, within split seconds, split decisions, like literally um, has to be done. How, um, how important is fast decision-making in, in, well, you've already highlighted in, in sport, but how does that apply to, to business and entrepreneurship? Do you find that if you make slow decisions, does that like slow you down and therefore it, it, you're not going to be as successful? What's your thoughts on this? You know, Adam, I learned all of this the hard way, right? I, I, I spent a lot of money learning this. Uh, <laughs> I mean, burning money learning this, right? Yeah. Um, this gray hair is for something. And, uh, you know, so I would <laughs> no, say that okay. one of the things that, yeah, exactly. There you go. So one of, one of the things that, you know, I, while I do a lot of mentorship with a lot of entrepreneurs, one of the things that I always say is that take your time to hire, but be fast when you fire. Yeah. Right. You know, so hire slow and fire fast. I think um, it's all about running a business. It's all about you being the manager or a, or a coach and pulling the strings. That's what, what your real job is to hire the right people and then let them get on with it. And then when you see people are out of line and you put them in, in line. So Coming back to the decision-making, if you know someone's making a bad decision consistent, consistently over time and again, and you kind of turn a blind eye, and I've done that many, many times in my, in my uh, business life because maybe I was emotionally attached to the person. I like the person, uh, uh, the person's character. Maybe he's trying too hard. Uh, and I've been victim of this many, many times. And on hindsight, if I had just, if I had just pulled the trigger, things would have changed <laughs> so much, you know? So... Um, Decision, slow decision-making business is really, really going to hurt you. And at the same time, what you really don't want to be is be trigger happy. Like, uh, you know, you don't want to like 
be impulsive, right? Something happens like, and I've acted like that as well. Actually, it cost me a lot of money. Uh, whether if I had sacked a client on the on sector staff on the uh, on the spot because I was angry at the way they they approached something, and then that eventually ended up being a legal case against the company. So, so what you really need to do, and that's what I think when it comes to that, you got to take a breath, a deep breath, take a step back, analyze the situation. But I, what I like, really like to do is that I try and sleep over things, maybe 24 hours, and then I immediately want to make a decision right after. That's what I try and do these days. Love it. Very cool. Interestingly enough, uh, Sassy, uh, we had a, a great, um, I, I moderated um, a great room on Clubhouse. And the topic was called speed versus patience. And honestly, I swear to God, we had so many great conversations and banter. It was just interesting. Now you've uh, you've talked about fast decision making uh, can hurt uh, can, you know can can has its kind of pros and cons, but in terms of patience, right? Because people don't really talk about patience that much. They talk about speed of implementation, which is great. But then, where does the uh, uh, the principle of patience come in? And when did you, in your sports career and in your business career, apply that? Yeah, so I think that's a very interesting point, and actually, it's a very good question. So, because people talk about um, speed when it comes to um, building a business, and then at the same time, that they tell you that all these gurus, they tell you that oh, you got to be patient. I think what what you need to look at is you need to look at the macro picture and the micro picture. So, if you're running a business, if the macro picture is to build an empire, you need a lot of patience, right? That's big picture. Right, and and you say I want to get to ten million, fifty million, hundred million. Okay, that's gonna take time, unless you are in arms drug uh, dealing or drug dealing. That happens fairly quickly. But <laughs> I suppose all our folks listening to this, <laughs> they are, are, are proper people, right? A law-abiding citizens. So I would say if you're gonna build something worth, uh, sustainable and worth your while, that's gotta be you gotta have a lot of patient building it. By the same time, when I look at the micro part of it, for example, if if I have a client and I need to send the client, um, I have a meeting with a client, I get a brief, I need to send a proposal. Okay, there, there's no patience there. That's speed, right? That's th that really, really that speed. You need to get to market uh, quickly. So I think people get confused. People um, confuse these two between, oh, let me have patience. Let me understand it more. No, I, I, you know, these days what I do as well, I'm, I'm part of a private equity firm and we are in this micro P place where we are talking to uh, small businesses between one to three million. And I tell my partners, I said, if we can't make a decision in 14 days or seven to 14 days, we shouldn't be even talking to the business because like we need to move quickly. Right? Yeah. Um, it, it, maybe perhaps in the normal world, people take a two to three months in due diligence and do, I said, well, that is super slow and I think it's not the most productive time, right? So create a system, know that these are the things that you need to tick the box and we can go fast. Once we have a system and we know these are the things that we need, to, these are the boxes to tick, we collectively agree that if all the boxes are ticked, then this is a good business to buy. It can be done in a couple of days, yeah. you know? So we architect this one and then we rinse and repeat. So I think really, really, I mean, my, the point I'm trying to make here is if it's a macro issue, I think that needs to be a lot of patience. If you're building something for long-term, it needs to be have a lot of patience. But if you are executing on the micro details, 
you need to be very fast. Um, just a couple of days I was talking to uh, ago, I was talking to someone uh, who's still thinking about a change of logo, the website, you know, um, how does my signature look? I'm like, that doesn't really matter. Nobody's buying your logo. Nobody's buying your website. Everyone's buying results. Like get to market, validate your idea that I want you to do overnight. Then there needs to be no patience whatsoever in that. But over time, you want to build a brand? Yes, you got to be patient with that. Makes sense. Interestingly enough, <laughs> uh, that's just a whole new conversation. We could talk about that. But um, yeah, <laughs> um, what have you found? Um, I was going to say to you, what have you found um, in terms of like the the winning principles? Uh, you know, being uh, from say football, transitioning into cricket, or being a co uh, cricket coach as such. Um, how have you found the same principles from sport and apply that into business? You've obviously done that, you know, and because you've sold the, your sports marketing agency and stuff. So you sold out to that. So you've, you've, done, you've done it. But what have you found from experience, the links between the two? Uh, can you kind of give us some uh, examples? Um, if you don't mind just re repeating the question in what sure. uh, I just want to be of value. What, what exactly... Um, um, are we trying to get out of this question? Maybe you can repeat that. I didn't really yeah, understand so, that. So the same principles, the same winning principles from sport, how do you then link oh, okay. to uh, running a successful business or, or exiting in your case? Okay, yeah, okay, got it. Um, so I think when you, when you look at sports, right, it's a really high pressure situation where I say um, the difference between sports and business, sports, you're judged every weekend, every week. Right? If you go into the park, you got to give your best every week. Sometimes you are judged by millions of people watching you on TV, listening to you, or following you on the internet. The higher you go, the stakes are higher. Right? In my case, I was, uh, I was playing at a time where Singapore um, football was number one. There are thousands of people at the stadium, thousands watching at home, newspaper picking up everything. So every week I was under pressure to perform. But when you look at sports, right, or business rather, sometimes you can take weeks, months, even years to be successful. So nobody's really judging you. Unless, I mean, if you're, a, if, if you're not venture funded or if you, if you don't have shareholders, you're really answerable to yourself, really, which for a long, long time, that was me. Uh, when I started my business, I had no shareholders. It was me. I was answering to myself. Right. But I was trying to take this weekly pressure um, that I felt in, in football and transition that into business. I was then judging myself every week, like, okay, this week, how many calls did I have? How many clients did I bring? So I think that really served me well because I was not from a traditional business space where they say, okay, take your time to build business. Like you can, and these days, and you, and you know this better in the tech space, they, they call it, how long can we burn for? <laughs> you know, 12 months, 18 months, 24 months, we can burn. I mean, I, I run... When I run a business, when I look at a business, I'm traditional. If I set up shop, I want to make money from day one, right? Not 15 months down the line and stuff right. like that. And everything needs to be organic, right? So I brought that kind of mindset into business where I said every week I'm, I'm judging myself uh, because that was it. And if I have a bad week, like I have in, in, in football, I just need to get better. I need to train harder. I got to work better. I got, I got a chance to prove again myself this coming week. So... If you ask me what is the similarities, and that's the only thing amongst many things, but this is the thing that really sticks out to me. 
the pressure of playing football or any other sports and being judged on a weekly basis by the public, it's way much more than running your business because you know uh, you can be and, and and you know this these days especially I mean on social media you get you get uh, all sorts of abuse, <laughs> racial abuse, all kind of abuse, right? And that really messes up your head. But in business, it's less, I would say, savage. It's less brutal in the sense where you can run at your own pace. Uh, but if you can bring that kind of pressure onto that, I, I think that was probably, I would say, my secret sauce in some ways. And that's where I thought I had a success. I actually ran my business like a football team, if you ask me, because that's all I knew. <laughs> <laughs> very cool i like that um it's interesting right one of the things that really bugs me and makes my blood boil right is like you know when you get business owners and entrepreneurs in particular and social media is you know it's it's one of those havens and you've kind of touched on it a little bit one of those havens where you start comparing yourself to where other people are at right and it's just like a, a big mirage really because and, and you talked about judgments and, you know, and then people start to create these false judgments of themselves about where they should be at versus where in reality, what the present, where they are presently, how did you deal with judgments? And do you have any, and, 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 and any advice for people that have kind of in that thought process of, oh, you know, I, you know, I wish I was here and I wish I was there. And they get so hard on themselves and they put this, underlying pressure sassy and then they fail to perform what's your thoughts about this you know again another great question you asked because i'm only human right and when i look at things happening around me i get influenced i start thinking like why is he successful like i'm i'm busting my my backside here and i'm not going nowhere i'll give you a real life experience i had a really good friend um, he, he was very successful in, in another business. He was in the nightlife business and he made millions and millions and millions of dollars. And not that he was particularly bright or not was that he was, he was on another planet when it came to thinking strategy. He was just at the right place, right time. And he made a lot of money. He had a Ferrari, a huge house, and he was a really good friend. And we used to go for lunch and dinner and drinks on a regular basis. And every time I see him, he's buying a $90,000 watch. He's going on these exotic holidays. And I sit there scratching my head and say, I can't be it worse than him, right? Like, like, what am I doing wrong? So I used to feel so bad about myself. I used to feel so useless about myself. And, and it was really, really bad. Like my mental st state of mind at that point was really, really bad. And I started questioning everything like, oh, you know, this, maybe I should just go and get a job or maybe I should work for him or something like that, right? Then I realized that I said, take a step back. Everybody's journey is different. Right. everyone's journey is different, right? Um, in many sense, like I was comparing myself to, with him, it's like comparing myself to Cristiano Ronaldo. I'm never going to get to his level. Never, right? I just don't have it. And, and I looked at him and I say, he was at the right place, right time. He worked hard a little bit. That, that's his own journey. That's not my journey. Yeah. So actually, you know what I really did? I started to cut myself off from him. I stopped seeing him for lunch. I stopped hanging out with him. The whole group purely because I wanted to stay focused on my goal because this was a shiny object. This was a, net, a serious distraction. And I think that is one of the skills that um, entrepreneurs really, really need to um, hone in the sense that when you know this is toxic, move away. Like you got to cut it, whether it's family, friends, brother, sister, whoever it is, 
a, a spouse or whatever, if you want to be successful and that person is toxic and doesn't let you go forward, you've got to cut them because that is uh, in cancerous in some ways. So when I did that, I, I, I started to, to um, uh, perform better. I started to um, be, um, I had all that mental clarity. And one of the things that I cannot um, stress enough is the power of meditation, right? And just taking more moments to be grateful for what you have. I like, I, I do that a lot. Like I get up in the morning and I say, I'm, first of all, I'm happy to be alive. <laughs> you know, there are a lot of people that don't wake up. Um, I'm happy. I'm happy for my health. I'm happy for my kids, my family. So when you start being grateful for what you have, then you really don't care what you don't have, right? Uh, and yeah, so it took me a while. I'm only human. It took me a while to get there. But eventually when I got there and it was a real breakthrough and, and these days what I do is through this mentorship, um, I teach people how to get past those things as well. So um, it's, it's just my way of telling people or helping people because when you're in it, it's very hard to recognize it. Absolutely. It, it, I think you've given some really sound advice there. And I, I think that if you're listening to this, by the way, guys, and you haven't got a pen and paper handy, make sure you go back, literally listen to this and start making notes. Because honestly, it's, they're like great golden nuggets. Um, now, you moved to Australia you know, quite some time ago and you learned about sports excellence. So we know that Australia, are, you know, apart from the UK, of course, and the US. Um, but Australia is just a great sort of, I suppose, springboard in learning about, you know, especially in places like Melbourne, which is kind of the capital of sport, of, you know, of Australia and stuff like that. What did you learn about sports excellence in particular? And how do you apply that to, to maybe business today? You know, when you look at the, the Aussies, right? Um, sports is a way of life. I think that's one thing that I quickly learn when I moved to Australia. I, I was very young when I finished my football career at 29. I had this great opportunity to go and work with a sports marketing agency in Melbourne, which is a sports capital. So I said, well, you know, I can't, I can't ask for something bigger and greater than this, right? So when I, when I got there, I, I quickly realized that, you know, the Aussies were very clear about how they want to leave, uh, leave their life, right? So at 5.30, everybody goes home. Like you, you will not see someone in the office 5.31. I mean, I'm from Asia and people work till 10, 11, 12 o'clock, right? And, and that's a kind of a, a, a sign of um, being hardworking, which is uh, complete BS for me, right? Uh, there's no point of staying in the office just to clock hours. In right. fact, you should be penalized for being <laughs> staying back because you, you're not really good at doing your job. Uh, but the Aussies, like, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll give you a, a really good example, one real life example. I had a uh, this was when I ended up running the agency, um, my assistant. It was a Friday um, afternoon. I decided to fly back to Singapore on the weekend and then on the way to India. So I asked my um, PA, personal assistant at the time, and said, Manka, can you book my flight? And she said, I can't. It's 5.25. And I'm like, why? So what? <laughs> she says, I got to leave at 5.30. So uh, the <laughs> old me and not understanding her situation got upset. I'm like, what do you mean? Like, I want, I'm your boss. Like, I, you need to book my flight. So, so I ended up booking my flight. Then I realized that when I came back, I had a conversation with her. She said, she's got to leave office at 5.30, pick her, take the tram and get to uh, where her son is, which is an hour, hour away. And if she's five minutes late, her son will be standing outside by himself because the Australians take their work time seriously and their family time seriously. So I didn't understand that until I said, oh my, I went like, oh my God, all right. They, they are serious. So 5.30 on the dot, 
people enjoy life, like they have things to do and get on with their life. So I realized that this is such a great way of thinking about work-life balance. I, I, I really enjoyed it. And then on the weekend, it's family day, they go out for all sorts of sports. And for me, someone who's in the sports industry, this was, this was like being in heaven. Like every weekend, there's something major, Formula One, Australian Open, uh, footy going on, soccer going on, everything's going on. So I'm like, okay, I'm spoiled for choices here, right? Um, so I, I felt that that culture also made them happy people because that kind of allowed them to be happy. And as you know, the Aussies, they, they, they live on their own continent, right? That's, they have a peculiar way of doing things, talking, speaking, absolutely love the country. Um, to answer your question, that's what I picked up from them, um, the work-life balance. And then when I came back to Singapore, very hectic, breakneck speed, people work for hours and hours. And I tried to implement that into my, my agency while it was hard. Eventually, I turned the culture around and told people like, I don't want to see you past 6, 6.30 in the office because you are useless to me after that. I just want you to go home and spend time with your, your kids, your family, your loved ones. Uh, and over time, we kind of made that culture stick with the agency. Love it. Love it. Very good. Now, you uh, were, became head coach at the Indian cricket, club, uh, cricket team. Now, listen, I, I know how... No, I just, I, I just, I just got to... I just got to, to correct you there. I actually placed the, co the, the Indian cricket coach I, through the work that I was doing in Australia. I wasn't the coach. Fair, fine. Okay. <laughs> so, so that's very different. But the, the, the point is, the point is it's still an important job because, you know, in India heritage, you hear it, you know, cricket is like the sacred sport of everything, uh, which is really, really important. 100%. So um, I, I wanted to ask you um, uh, another question, actually which was around um, how did you go about, I, I suppose, sourcing the right person for that? Because it is a, you know, it is an extremely important job being in, you know, uh, being in cricket and stuff like that and the pressure and things like that. How'd you go about sourcing really good people? Um, I, I tell you what, it was um, maybe give you a bit of a context to that. Um, yeah. Part of my work in Australia was to export Australian sports excellence to around the world. And one of the things that, one of the first stop that we made was in India. And we chose cricket because India till then had not beat, beaten Australian cricket. There, there was always uh, that the thing that they've, the, the Indians looked up to the Australians as having a system that worked for them. Right. And there was a gentleman called Greg Chappell who is a legendary um, name in the world of cricket. And one of the guys that I employed basically came up to me and said, listen, uh, boss, you know what? We should get the rights for Greg Chappell and, and launch him in India as part of the vertical of the business we are doing. So I had no clue. Like I said, I'm of Indian origin, but cricket was never my game. Never watched it, never understood it. Uh, not a big fan of it. And we ended up tracking down this gentleman in a, in a small town in Adelaide in, in Australia. He had a, a, a car garage. And we had, I ended up flying from Melbourne with my one of the, one of the, the guys that worked for me. Ended up meeting with him, explained to him that what we're trying to do in India. We created this program called the Chapel Way, um, and cricket down under, and, and we we had a few other brands along with it. And say, hey, we're gonna launch a program in India. Would you like to come on the ride with us? So he said yes on the spot. He really loved what we were doing. And then when we launched it in India, with all the fanfare that surrounded it, uh, within. I would say what um, eight weeks uh, to ten weeks. Greg Chappell was then linked to the job 
um, of head coach of um, um, of India cricket team. And uh, I mean, like I said, the rest is history. So we did him a favor. He did us a favor by allowing us to launch his programs in India. And then he became, you know, he put himself out there and yeah, that's how, how, how it happened. Um, and it was, I will not take any credit for it because my, my staff worked relentlessly. It was their idea. I just was the facilitator. I did all the negotiations and stuff like that. But uh, it, was, it was a real eye-opener. Like you said, after the prime minister's job in India, the most important job is the Indian cricket coach, <laughs> coach's job. <laughs> so they are mad about it. So, so I was very glad that I, I played a part in that. Very good. Um, did you, I know being sort of a football player and stuff, did you, I know that we talked about this offline actually, about, you know, with, with sports athletes in particular, where, you know, they um, don't really have any plans for after retirement and, and you know, and, you know, we talked about, you know, these long life or, or these kind of stars, these athletes, these sport superstars that you really don't hear about anymore. They're like disappeared off the face of the planet. Did you, did it ever come across to your mind where you thought to yourself, you know what, you know, what is it that I'm going to do if I, when I retire or if I get a major injury and stuff like that, what are some of the, um, you know, what are some of the biggest mistakes that a lot of these athletes make uh, with regards to kind of, retiring and stuff like that you know adam i mean for me i was an accidental footballer right i never imagined that i'll be a footballer one day and it all happened really quickly in fact as i uh, just finished my national national service which is a mandatory thing for all singaporean male at the age of 18 to go and serve national service whether right. with the army or the um with the police um i I did my diploma in mass communications and I wanted to go to Canada to study mass communications in Simon Fraser. And I applied for it. I got it. And my dad, I mean, we come from a very humble background. So I said, dad, I want to go to Canada to, to do my degree. And he's like, okay, great. I'll buy you the flight ticket, but the rest you got to try and figure that out. So what happened was um, right about that time, Singapore, we launched uh, the Singapore premier. It was called the Singapore league, which is a professional football league at the time. And a lot of money was poured into it. And as a young man at the age of 19, I was offered my first contract was a lot of money to play football. And I, that was my dream. I wanted to play professional football and the money was really nice. So I kind of said, you know what? I, I, I don't want to go to Canada and struggle there, study and stuff. And this was good. But my father said, okay, you can go and play professional football, but you got to stay in school. And that's what I did. So I ended up being in school and like my dad wanted me. And eventually I finished my master's in, in sports management and marketing uh, while I was playing football and football paid for that. And um, that was purely because I had a dad that was always in my ears asking me, what are you going to do afterwards? You know, what are you going to do afterwards? What are you going to do afterwards? So every time I had a small injury, my dad was like, what are you going to do? You know, it could end one day. So I only got my dad to thank because he, he was in my ears all the time. Coming back to other footballers, because they don't have the family support. They don't have people around them that keep telling them that, hey, this could end one day. In fact, it could end this weekend, right? Uh, when you're playing competitive football, or it could end in, in, during a training session. Yeah. So a lot of them, what they do and what they feel, and I, wanna, I don't want to be unfair to a lot of footballers, but we tend to live in a bubble when we're playing football because everything is done for us. All you need to do is turn up and play and be the best. So from flight tickets to your shirts in the training ground to your boots being polished and your all of everything, people pick up pieces for you, right? So what that really makes you become, your brain becomes very lazy in that sense. You don't hone that skill of trying to do things. And 
And the fact is you got a lot of free time. You train in the morning and then you got, uh, sometimes you train in the evening and in between you got a lot of idle time. So what do players end up doing? They end up playing FIFA and they end up going to the coffee places, hanging around and talking. So what I, I, I didn't really enjoy all of that. I said, you know, I need to do something. Um, so, but a lot of them these days, they're, they're quite savvy. They know that this is going to end. They start investing in businesses. They start picking up. But I would say a majority of them actually don't plan. And that's something that I'm really passionate about. Not too long ago, one of the guys who was a top striker in Singapore uh, scored over 200 goals, career goals, play, scored against some of the best teams in the world. Uh, he didn't have a job. He was doing some uh, labor job. And, and, and I'm like, how can you, I mean, you're a big name. Like people know you, like you've done some real stuff, right? Right. Um, so I, I basically helped him to, to launch his own um, football school. And he went from zero to eight, 9,000 a month in a week, matter of weeks. So it's people like that, that I feel really passionate about. I feel sorry for them. I'm in a privileged situation now, but there are a lot of them that don't necessarily have the guidance, don't necessarily have the ideas how to do it. And a lot of them actually lack the education because they don't skill themselves up during football and during professional life and stuff like that. But that's slowly changing because leagues and federations are now understanding the need to make sure that the, the players are set up for the next generation because a lot of them fall into depression. Yes. And we've seen quite a couple of them actually take their life because they don't have the purpose after professional sport, which is very sad to be honest. Yeah, very sad. Now, I know that you do a lot of um, mentoring now for um, a lot of athletes, sports celebrities and, and so forth, especially for athletes that are kind of coming towards the end of their game as such. What you, I mean, when people, when, when, when these guys come to you and they're like, hey, so I'd like to start a business, but I, I just haven't got a clue. I don't know where to start. What, 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 do, you, what do you advise them? So... I always say that uh, everyone's got a secret sauce or they got magic. Like, I believe that everyone's got magic. There's, there's a bit of you that you can productize and take to the world that somebody else will pay money for. I, I don't care who you are. Like, in any niche, there's always someone that will want to, to trade with you. Um, so, one of the first things that I always ask is, what are you passionate about? So, 99% of these guys always talk about coaching because that's what they know. I want to be a coach. I want to give back and stuff like that. So I kind of say, okay, that that's great. I mean, that's, that's a very honorable thing to do. You want to pass on your knowledge. So I, I kind of ask them, do you want to work for someone or do you want to have your own business? Right? So we end up having that, those sort of conversations where they go like, you know what? I'm not very good at uh, working for someone. I want to start my own. Okay. So then we start setting the foundation of what they really need to do in order to get started in business. And, and a lot of the time, what I end up doing is uh, really um, talk about um, where's the starting point? Like, what do you really want to do? Uh, if you want to be a coach, who do you want to coach? Um, so almost like selecting the community that they want to serve. Right. So we do a lot of work around that. And as soon as they kind of identify, say, you know what, I want to work with the, with, the, with the youth. I want to work with the professional players. I want to work with uh, uh, amateur players. So as soon as we do that, then we start wrapping things around it. So that's an entry point without, being too, without going into too much detail because there's a lot of details in it. I will always ask them, I say, What's your, what are you passionate about? something that you can stick to for the next 10 years. And, and, and at times they say it's not even sports. They're like, oh, I want to start real estate business or I want to 
I want to start an internet business or I want to go into investing. It could be many, many other things. Yeah. Right. Interesting. Really interesting. Uh, <clears throat> because, <clears throat> I mean, you can go into so many different industries and, and whatever it might be. I guess it all depends on the interests and passions of the person, doesn't it? Absolutely. Yeah. Very cool. So um, what's going to say, I know that um, you're, you've, you, you, you've been kind of mentoring, you know, for the like sort of last four or five years and stuff like that. And tell us a little bit about, um, I know that you've created um, uh, a, a gift as such for, for people that are in the sports field and, and, and you know, that want to transition into running their own business. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah. So when I, when I started this mentorship, I wanted to, to work with athletes. So I started talking to a lot of athletes and I realized that over time, a lot of the, these athletes, like we just spoke about, they leave it till very late. Yeah. Like once they stop playing, then they start thinking about what's next. And, and it was very hard for me to find out who's interested and who's not. But as I was you know, doing this mentorship program, as I was going through this journey, I realized that 99% of them actually transitioned to becoming a sports coach, whether it's with football, hockey, you name it, basketball, whatever. Then I realized that, oh, it's actually much easier for me to target sports coaches. Like if I'm going to go after marketing, I know where they are. And, you know, so it's quite clear once somebody is coaching, they're a sports coach. So I realized that, okay, actually, you know what? I can target that group. When I looked at a lot of these sports coaches, especially if they are a solopreneur, single guy doing one-on-one -on -one coaching or group coaching and stuff like that, he doesn't really have a system. Um, again, I've spoken to hundreds and hundreds of coaches and I asked them a bunch of questions like, do you have a, um, a signature solution? Do you have an intellectual property? Because how are you different from the guy down the road? They go like, it's me. I say, I get it. It's you. But what is so special about you? They go, I got 15 years, 20 years, 30 years experience. I said, that's all great. But how do you communicate that? Because if you don't let people know what this is all about, uh, you're just wasting your time. So what ends up uh, happening is that what we do is what I, uh, I have a... Uh, a process where what I do is that I take all their genius and the expertise and we create a product around it, right? So very simple, three simple steps. I always use the power of three because if you look at the best marketing slogans around the world, it all comes in three, right? You talk about uh, McDonald's, uh, I'm loving it, Kentucky finger looking good, Nike's just do it. So they all use the power of three. So I say, okay, let's, let's use this power of three to say, are, is there a three stage that anybody who starts working with you, do they go through? Okay, they, they, they start with you, that's the first stage, they go on an intermediate stage and the advanced stage, right? And then within that, um, within that three steps, let's look at the base level, which is the start point. Can you then create three different action steps there? So they go like, yeah, they do this, do this, do this. Then they go to the next level, they do this. So there are literally nine steps of three stages Yep. to get somebody from a place of uncertainty to the result they want. So there's even a template that I create. I get them to do the brain dump and they do all of that and then they organize it. And then what really comes out of it, it's actually their own intellectual property. It's a formula, it's a blueprint, it's a strategy, whatever you call it, right? And then they start to brand it. They even, you know, in some instances, I've, I know that coaches who, who try and trademark it because that's their trademark. Right. And then what really happens is that now they have a system of training someone, a total stranger, to the result they want. 
let's get it this way. Somebody comes to you, they're actually not really interested in you. They really want an experience. They want an outcome. That's what they're there to do. Exactly. Whether it's in soccer, whether it's in fitness, whether whatever, they just want an outcome. That's why they are there with you. So if you can articulate it in an intellectual property and take them from a place where they are to, to getting the results in 90 days, you got a product. Awesome. Right. So not too long ago, I worked with the basketball coach, just some context. Um, he was doing about, I think, $3,000 before a month before he met me. Uh, he's now my, um, he's on retainer and I, and I speak to him on a weekly basis for the next six months. The last quarter he did 42,000. Wow. Just That's using the framework I did wow. and changing the pricing model and articulating very clearly to who he becomes the hero to and the process he takes them. So he basically told all his clients, this is a process. This is a 90 day process. You got to pay in advance because I'm giving you a result and there's no no such thing as quitting halfway because you got to do all of this to get to this. Exactly. So people don't go like, oh, I will do it one month and then next month I, I, I want to do it. No, it's a 90 day program and you pay upfront. So straight away, we solved this cash flow problem. Straight away, we transition people from being transactional to results-based outcome and they end up staying with him longer. So we're now working towards uh, building a business that's going to be um, 500,000 this year. We're looking at taking his whole model, his IP and creating franchise around it. So that's the kind of work I do. And uh, once they see that, and it's like really life-changing for them, like it's, it's uh, so I've taken, uh, again, in Canada, I had a strength and fitness coach just before COVID. He was like, in, he found me through um, organic means. He got in touch with me and he said, listen, I, I'm, I'm wits end. I'm, I'm running out of money. My gym's money closed. So implemented a few things fairly quickly. And in this instance was no patience. It was just speed and um, got him, got him from zero to 3000 in seven days just using my formula, just go, doing the same thing all over again. And then now he's just flying. So uh, the, the thing works, I can go on and on about more, more testimonials, but it's about giving them the clarity, giving them productizing their expertise and being able to tell people, this is the, this is the result I give. And yeah. this is a 90 day process. You got to pay me in advance. And that's what it is. So um, it can be really life-changing and it's been life-changing for many. Uh, and, and, and the guy that I was work, I'm working with the basketball coach, after a long, long time, he actually took a break during uh, Easter. He went back to, uh, to see his family. He said, in the past, it was impossible. Love it. Very good. Listen, um, I was going to say, um, I've, I've really enjoyed today's show. Like We've gone into a lot of great depth and detail. We've covered a lot of stuff. Um, I hope that you guys that are listening in, I hope that you have enjoyed some of our conversations with me and Sassy. Sassy, I just want to say thanks very much for being on the show today. I really, really, uh, really, really enjoyed it. I hope you did too. Absolutely, Adam. Thank you so much for giving this, uh, giving me this opportunity to share my story and the, the, the work that I do. Um, very, very kind of you. And, uh, you know, thanks for all the awesome questions you post me. Awesome. Very good. Listen, guys, if you want to learn more about Sassy, please do me a favor. Click on his social media links on the, on the links below. You can also download his free gift that we've also put on there as well. And you know what? It doesn't really matter. Even if you're not a sports athlete or a sports coach, or whatever it is, it doesn't matter. Even if you're an entrepreneur running a business, the same principles apply. And that's what we've kind of been honing on in our conversations today. So listen, guys, hope you've enjoyed today's show. Uh, we'll see you again and again on the next Game Changers Experience. Take care and see you soon. Bye-bye. Hey, you guys, I just want to say thank you so much for listening in to this episode of the Game Changers Experience. I hope that you got some amazing value, some great insights, 
and golden nuggets that you can implement into your business straight away. I would really, really appreciate it if you could leave a five-star review on the button below. Have a fantastic day and we'll see you on the next episode. Take care.